Happy Saturday. Say God lives on Saturday too. God lives on Saturday. Amen. Well, as you know, we have some very special guests with us this morning. Reverend Terry and Renee's Mize. Apostles in faith. He's been in ministry over 50 years in missions. Uh, general in the faith, and I believe uh, Renee is a general S in the faith. And I think Brother Hagen would agree with that. <laughs> uh, you can tune into their podcast at Terry Mice on their podcast. I love their podcast. It's awesome. I listen to it all the time. Giving living bread to dying men around the world. This is the second time, the second year I've meditated on that mission statement, and it just keeps on blessing me. Amen. What a commission. Um, he's also at terrymize.com. If you'd like to partner with him in his ministry, I encourage you to do so. They are good ground. Uh, you got to be doing something right to stay in ministry for 50 years. Amen. <laughs> so praise God. Uh, without further ado, please welcome uh, Brother Terry and Renee Mize. Thank you so much for being with us. We love you guys. Thank you, sir. Praise Amen. the Lord. Amen. That was fast. I wasn't prepared to get up here that quick. Praise the Lord. Good morning. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Well, isn't the Lord good? Yes? Say this with me. I know God is good. Say it like you mean it. I know God is good. And I know His Word is truth. Y'all are quiet in this Presbyterian church. <laughs> Say, I know, I know. His, word his Word is truth. That's not true. Jesus didn't say it's true. He said it's truth. He said, Father, Thy Word is truth. And I don't know about the rest of you, but when I found that scripture as a teenager, <clears throat> it just built an unshakable confidence on the inside of me that if I could find it in the Bible, I could make it happen. If I could find it in the Bible, I could take it to the bank. Amen. Jesus said, Father, thy word is truth. I know we're living in an America today where we don't really believe in uh, absolute truth anymore, but this missionary still believes in absolute truth. Thank God for his word. If God said it, it's right, it's so, it's done, and uh, I tell you, I'm for it. Amen. Well, I'm glad to see you out here this morning. I appreciate the invitation and delighted to be here and appreciate our friends and uh, appreciate the, the invitation here. And, and uh, Eli and, and Renee and I met in Mexico City a few years ago uh, down at my spiritual father's uh, house and, and birthday party. And uh, he was, uh, uh, he'll be 98 years old next, week, next month. And sadly, I, we are not allowed to go see him because of COVID. And, and uh, so I do talk to him on a regular basis and visit with him and Miss Martha. And uh, so he told me the other day, he said, I'm not going to be able to have my birthday party this year. And I said, well, we'll, we'll love you from afar. And the instant, the instant we can get down there, just the instant that things open up, we'll be on your doorstep. So uh, I've known Brother Wayne Myers since I was 18 years old. I'm 70 now, so that's a long time if you're doing the math. And uh, he's been a mentor to me and a general in the faith, a father in the faith and such an example of living to give and taking the gospel to the world. Uh, and it's just been a delight to have him and Miss Martha in my life. And then of course, Renee has uh, had them in her life for a number of years now as well. And so we're just excited about what they're doing. And just, uh, I tell you, we send them a check every Friday. That's right. I mean, every Friday of the world since uh, 
since Tig was a pup, and he's an old dog now. So I don't, I don't know how many years we've been doing that, but it's been a lot of years, a lot of decades. We've been sending them a check every Friday, plus other checks here and there over the years. But, but every Friday of the world, they they hear from us, and because uh, we believe in supporting our fathers and believe in supporting uh, great ministries, and believe in partnering with ministries, and uh, so we're. Uh, we're excited about that. Amen? Amen. So uh, praise the Lord. We're on this little West Coast trip just because our calendar is always full. I mean, there's just no holes in our calendar. We're always booked either in the, in the States or both in the States and overseas. We try to do an overseas crusade every other month, so six times a year. We try to do it in a developing nation. Once in a while, we're in first world nations and we get invitations to first world nations, but we, we'd rather be in developing nations, third world nations. And so we try to be there every other every other month or six times a year. And uh, we just had to cancel a crusade in Pakistan. I'm so frustrated and so, uh, uh, well, hurt, really grieved, really, uh, on having to cancel this crusade in Pakistan because, uh, you know, if I didn't come preach to y'all today, you'd be okay. You're, you're Christians. Y'all are Christians? So if you died today, you'd go to heaven. You know, I mean, I'll minister you a good word and you'll enjoy it and you'll get blessed. But, but whether you hear me preach or not make any difference. If you died today, you'd go to heaven. But uh, those Muslims in Pakistan that I was going to minister to the first week of May, uh, and we had 100,000 people uh, ready to attend. We had already committed to rent 600 buses, Eli. Uh, to bring in uh, at, at $100 a piece, 60, we'd already committed $60,000 just for buses to bring people to the crusade. Had already hired armed guards. Uh, the, the, the Pakistani government made us hire armed guards, but it's so dangerous. And, uh, and so we were, we were full steam ahead uh, to go and minister to those 100,000 Muslims who don't know Jesus, to share Jesus with them, because Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life, the resurrection, the door. No man comes to the Father but by me. I wish, I wish Islam worked, but it doesn't. I wish Buddhism worked, but it doesn't. I wish Hinduism worked, but it doesn't. I wish uh, all these religions of the world that I've been to for 52 years, I wish they worked, but they don't. And I've been to all those religions. I've seen all those false gods. And the Hindus alone have 330 million gods. And not a one of them works. Every one of them are dead. And uh, we serve the only true and living God. And Jesus said, I am the way. And I am the door. And I am the resurrection. And I am the truth. And I am the life. And no man comes to the Father but by me. The USA Today has said a number of times over the years that Oprah Winfrey is the pastor and the spiritual guru of America. And uh, uh, she's not my pastor. I'm sure she's a nice lady. I'm not her judge. I don't know her. Uh, I'm sure I've heard she does a lot of philanthropic work and, and does a lot of good and helps people. I'm for her. Uh, but she's not my pastor. She's not. I'm not going to get spiritual advice from her. And uh, I've heard her sermons a few times, and she says this. She says, you just worship whatever deity you want to serve, and you'll be okay. Well, now that will take you to hell. Yeah. And a lot of people are going to go to hell because of her. And uh, so we have to understand that Jesus said, 
Oprah said you can serve any deity you want to. Jesus said, I'm the only way to God. There is no other way but by me. I even have some dear friends, good preacher friends, ministers of the gospel that were preaching a, a deck, few decades ago. They got off on this goofy doctrine and they said, uh, they said, well, you know, the Jews don't need Jesus. The Jews have their own covenant. They don't have to come to Jesus. They can do their own thing. And, uh, and, and, uh, and they don't need Jesus. And so I went to my friends and I said, uh, when Jesus said, no man comes to the Father but by me, I said, who was he talking to? He was talking to the Jews. Jesus was looking the Jews in the face, saying, no man comes to the Father but by me. I wish Jesus didn't say that. I wish he'd have said, hey, Oprah's right. You can just come any way you want to. When I'm in, when I'm in India doing great crusades in India, I, I literally cry Eli, over, those, over those people. I mean, tears run down my face. And I say, oh, God. Oh, God, I wish Hinduism worked. I don't want these people to go to hell. And when I'm in Buddhist lands, oh, God, I wish Buddhism worked. I don't want these people to go to hell. I wish, I wish Shintoism worked when I'm in Japan. I don't want them to go to hell. But God said it doesn't work. There's only one way to God, and that's through Jesus. So, so anyway, my point was I've been grieved over having to cancel the Pakistani crusade because by me not coming to see you, you're okay. But by me not going over there, there's people that are going to go to hell for eternity because we could not come and because we could not preach Jesus. So, so pray with me. Let's believe God and get rid of this, this scourge, this biological scourge that, that, has, uh, that has kept people out of church and kept people from God and kept people uh, bound in sin And because we need to be about the master's business and we need to be preaching the gospel. Never did I dream they could shut down the preaching of the gospel. Never, never, never. I've written our government and said, it's not right that you forbid me to preach the gospel. It's wrong. This is America. It's not right that you'd forbid me to preach the gospel. And, uh, you know, never in history have we ever quarantined healthy people. I mean, I'm 70 years old. I, re I remember polio. I remember going down the street and seeing houses with signs on the door saying, quarantine, quarantine, quarantine. I remember that. I remember whenever I was a teenager, the scourge of tuberculosis and how that we actually built, the government built hospitals called sanatoriums. And they, they compelled people by force that had tuberculosis to go to those sanatoriums. I had an uncle that had tuberculosis and they, they, they put him in a sanatorium and he, he got to missing his wife and kids and, and escaped and came home. And uh, I mean, I remember the police coming to his house and taking him away in handcuffs and uh, taking him back to the sanatorium and saying, no, you are quarantined because you're so contagious. And, uh, but you know, never have we quarantined healthy people before. And all of a sudden, hell has found a way to shut down the gospel uh, in, in conventional means. Now, thank God we have video and we have internet. And Renee and I are sending our podcast to Pakistan, and, and, and I'm about to do some. And them, all my podcasts have been designed, as you know, you watch our podcast, they're designed for Christians. We preach the word, we teach the word, we, we teach Christians. But I'm about to do some uh, where I'm preaching a crusade, where I'm preaching a, what we call a crusade message, where I'm preaching salvation. Uh, and we're going to send those, we're going to have those translated into Urdu and send those to yeah. Pakistan. Because I refuse for those people to go to hell 
because the government will not let us go. And we already had our tickets bought, and then England shut down. We were going through England. They shut down, said you can't come to England. Then Pakistan shut down, said you can't have any meetings of more than 10 people. Well, we were having 100,000. Uh, and besides the fact we were having 1,500 Christian pastors, and I was going to train them in the Word of God and the Word of faith so they could train and teach their own people. But anyway, pray with us. Let's get rid of this thing. The Bible says that no plague comes nigh our dwelling. Uh, infectious diseases is not something new to this missionary. I've lived with them all my life. I've been in disease-ridden places. I've gone in leper colonies and hugged on those contagious uh, lepers. I've, I've, I've prayed for people that come, my hand had come back with bloody froth uh, for the diseases and the and the open wounds and sores and, and been in all these places all my life and have never been afraid of disease, never been afraid of sickness. But I tell you what, uh, the fear is worse than the disease. And I tell you, the church has no business ever, ever, ever being in fear. Never, 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 never does a church have any business whatsoever being in fear. Fear is a spiritual force from hell that motivates the devil just like faith is a spiritual force from heaven that motivates God. Heaven and God move on faith. Hell and the devil move on fear. And they're both spiritual forces. They're both real. The Bible says in the last days, fear uh, will kill you. It says men's hearts will fail them for fear. Uh, you'll literally be scared to death. Men will literally be scared to death. It'll change the color of your hair. It'll put wrinkles in your skin. It'll age you. And uh, we have no business as Christians entertaining fear of any shape, kind, form, or fashion. Amen. We're, the word says no plague, no plague, no plague, no plague, no plague comes nigh our dwelling and that we're healed by the stripes of Jesus. Amen. So anyway, praise the Lord. Pray with us. Get us back in the mission fields. Help us get back where we belong. And uh, again, I, I, the, 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 the churches uh, that don't hear me preach, they've not lost a lot because they're Christian, but those crusades overseas, uh, those people were talking about eternity in hell. And that's that's a that, that's a big deal, amen. That, that's a big deal, and so we want to preach the gospel here in the states, but we really want to preach the gospel to those that are lost, and those that are dying, and those that are going to hell. And so we have to be about the master's business. So anyway, I started to say that our calendar is always full, but because of COVID, all of a sudden our calendar was absolutely decimated, and we were just sitting at home, and um, and we were enjoying it. I mean, we're never at home. We average four days a month at home. And so we were enjoying it, and we were enjoying each other. We were enjoying our house, and we were enjoying, it's like, hey, we have a house, you know, and, and uh, we were enjoying our own bed, and we were enjoying cooking, and, uh, and we were enjoying the kids and the grandkids, and, and uh, we'd take the boat to the lake and took the grandkids fishing and took them swimming and tubing, and, and we just had a lot of fun. But, you know, we were hurting over not sharing the gospel, not sharing the word. So we were sitting around praying one day a few weeks ago, and we just said, you know what? Um, the Apostle Paul said to Barnabas one day, he said, hey, Barnabas, let's just, uh, let's just strike out in faith and go on a missionary journey and visit our, visit our partner churches. And uh, see, he said, see how they do. And then he said, we want to strengthen them and we want to encourage them. And so they did. They just struck out and took off.
And so we just said, let's do that. Let's just strike out right. in faith. That's we don't know if we can preach anywhere or not, but we can sure encourage some folks. And uh, so we said, uh, we, we, so we just, we just said, where's the worst place in America? Where's the hardest place in America? It'd either be New York City or it'd be the West Coast. So we said, let's, let's go to the West Coast. And uh, so I sent a text to about five or six uh, pastors, friends, partners, uh, in, in California and a couple in uh, Oregon and one in Washington and just said, hey, we're coming. And if we can preach for you, fine. If we can't, fine. If we can preach online, fine. If we can preach in person, fine. If we can't preach at all, that's fine. We'll just take you to dinner and love on you and encourage you and bless you. We're not looking for an offering. We're not looking for money. We're, we're looking to see if we can see our partner churches and see how they do and strengthen them. And I mean, within the first hour, since I sent the text within an hour, I had immediately four answers from pastors from Washington to San Diego saying, come, please come. And uh, and so we've just been busy, busy, busy the last number of weeks. And we've been up to Portland, Oregon, and we've been uh, uh, all the way up and down California and just were in San Diego last week. And, and then here today and tomorrow, preaching for Art Aragon over in Placentia. Uh, uh, and so uh, then we're headed back to Texas and I'm preaching two churches there and, and, and have to film some more some more. Uh, uh, podcasts or TV programs are calling them nowadays. I, I still call them a podcast, but we have our own YouTube channel. If you would do us a favor and go to YouTube, and if you don't know how to do that, get a grandchild to help you. But, <laughs> but if you'll go to YouTube and go to Terry Mize Ministries and subscribe to that, hit the subscribe button. Doesn't cost you anything, it's free for nothing. And somehow it impresses YouTube. I don't know why it impresses them, but they get all excited when you subscribe to our program and then right next to the subscribe button there's a little bell if you'll if you'll click on that bell that really gets them excited it makes them think we're really important and uh lets them let us do more stuff so if you'll go subscribe to terry Myers ministries youtube channel and if you'll click on the bell then that'd be a personal favor to help us and, and to help us preach to people and help people and so uh we're, uh, we're just excited about whatever God's doing, and we're going to go back to Texas and film about uh, two months' worth of podcasts and then preach in a couple of churches there, and then we're going to head back home, and uh, we're believing that this thing's going to be over, and we're gone to the world. Amen. Praise the Lord. Well, Renee, come up and share with the people. Greet the people. I've got about three or four hours worth of preaching I want to do. So I don't have anywhere to be until tomorrow morning at church. So, so uh, uh, help yourself. Okay. Well, as Terry said, we're honored to be here. And are just so grateful that we serve a God that we can brag about. <laughs> Amen. You know, as Terry was saying today, um, that the, um, the wonderful uh, opportunity to preach a gospel about a God that is alive when so much of the world doesn't know that God is alive. And then I think the greatest marketing tool for Christianity is that he comes and lives in us. And in other parts of the world, that would be blasphemous to say your God lives in you, you know? And yet we can say boldly, Christ in us, the hope of glory, you know, scripturally. Uh, we have so much to back that up, that the greater one lives on the inside of us. Isn't that wonderful? I mean, sometimes I'll just walk through the house or be outside in the backyard, you know, or just in a hotel, and I'll just be going down a hallway or just saying, I have the life of God in me. You know, I, 
I have learned through many years, and I'll share my secret with you, that I'm the best preacher I know. Because I'll believe me. But it, it also puts the fear of God in me to qualify what I choose to believe. Because I'm going to believe what I say. Isn't that what Mark 11 says? That you have to believe what you say. So I want to encourage you to get into the Word of God so you have something good to say that you'll believe. And when I say the Word of God, then I preach it to myself. I, I, you know, when I, when I talk out loud, I'll say, I have the life of God. I'm more than a conqueror through Christ Jesus who loved me. I am the head and not the tail. I am above only and not beneath. No plague will come nigh my dwelling. Um, when, when my first husband and I bought our home in Houston, uh, someone gave us, in fact, she was a Jewish, uh, Christian Jewish friend, and she gave me a mezuzah. Do y'all know what that is? It's that little, have you ever seen Ben-Hur? Yes. You know when, when Judah Ben-Hur would come up to his house and he'd put his hand over on this little thing on the wall and he'd kiss it and bless it? What it has inside that is a little scroll, t tiny little scroll, where they would write scriptures that would bless their house. And they'd, and they'd hide it in that piece of pottery and put it in on the wall. And they would touch it every time they went in, this covenant between them and God. Isn't that marvelous? Yes. What a great, those are good traditions. <laughs> and so my darling friend gave me a beautiful one made out of brass with like a, 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 a green um, jewel tone in it. It's very beautiful and put it in there, and I, I immediately took the scroll that came with it and wrote out scriptures in it and put it on there and put it on my doorway. And I mean, it was something that, and that's what Deuteronomy says, write it on the doorpost of your house. Isn't that right? And so I just, I just began to use that concept that God wants our places, of, of dwell, our dwelling places to be sanctified by his word. And so it's important for us to say what we believe. And as Terry was saying, we need to teach other people how to do this. Not, uh, it's wonderful uh, that you as a Christian are already on your way to heaven, but my goodness, find your purpose. <laughs> Realize that you've been called to do something. Um, my, my first husband and I pastored for 38 years and he would always say, you know, if you don't show up, nothing else matters. And I found out that is the truth. Man, if I don't show up full of the Holy Ghost uh, with something to say that will change a person's attitude, if nothing else, how many of you have ever just come to church and you needed your attitude changed? As Christians, you needed fresh perspective. You'd gotten discouraged or uh, disappointed or you uh, had had a trial or test come and attack you in some way and you needed uh, a higher thought, like Isaiah 55 says. God's thoughts are higher than our thoughts. Some days I can only think five foot five thoughts. I've told the Lord that. I said, Lord, I, I can't think any higher than that right now. I don't, have a, I don't have the right thought about this thing. I need, how tall are you? Six one? Six two? Yeah, about that, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I have a son of your height, and so I was saying, and so when, when you see how limited we are in the natural, that, I, that on my best day, 
uh, 1 Corinthians over there says, I see through a glass darkly. I still, I still see life through a smoky glass on my best day. And then I can only think so high. But Isaiah 55 says, he says, uh, my thoughts are higher than your thoughts and my ways are higher than your ways. So if nothing else for you as a believer today, Terry and I are, are here to challenge you to think higher thoughts. And where to get those thoughts is from the Word of God. If you need a higher thought, God, show me. <laughs> I'm going to search the Scriptures to find out how to think about this thing. Because I am thinking wrong about it. I'm not, I know I'm not thinking high enough about it. I know I'm not seeing it from your perspective. I don't, I'm not seeing my marriage from the right perspective. I'm not seeing raising my kids from the right perspective. I'm not seeing how to think about my money and about my future and, and how I'm going to do things in the days ahead. You know, Jeremiah 31 says that they shall come together on the heights, the young and the old alike, male and female, and says they shall flow together, pouring out prayers for the future. Isn't that wonderful? That our prayers are to go out into the future, five years, ten years, six months from now, all, all the way up till the day we leave this planet. I should have prayed way back here over all those things back there. You know, and I believe by the grace of God, He'll help you make up some time. He'll restore, you know, with the canker worm and the palmer worm and the locusts have eaten away, He said there in uh, Joel. So we know that God will restore. You know, isn't that wonderful? That God will restore what we feel like we've lost either by ignorance or disobedience. Anybody ever lost something by, out of your disobedience? God wants to restore what we've lost through arrogance or disobedience or ignorance in our lives where we thought I, I went and re read the Bible on a certain occasion and I, I said Lord I repent I have misunderstood the scripture I didn't get it right I've always been thinking it's this way and this isn't right I repent of this I need you to help me thank you for correcting me <laughs> and the word of God uh, Timothy Paul told Timothy is profitable for correction, for reproof, for instruction in righteousness. And that's what Elisha's here trying to do every week is correct from the Word of God and boldly share with you the things like Captain Kirk take you out into the future where you've never gone before <laughs> and help you see the goodness of God and the glory of God. My goodness. You know, you're sitting here fanning today. Just thank God you're not going to hell. This is the hottest you'll ever be. You know? I mean, you're, I mean, this is a day to thank that the air conditioning goes out, throw a party, get a, buy a cake, get some ice cream, and celebrate. Tell your neighbors, I'm thanking God today, even though the air conditioning's out. This is the hottest I'll ever be. I'm not going to hell today. And enjoy the blessing of God and the greatness that lives on the inside of you. There's greatness on the inside of us by the power of God. Not by works of righteousness, but by the power of God. Isn't that wonderful? Appreciated your piano playing today. Appreciated little, uh, Lily's fanning us over here today. I mean, what a sweetheart. You know, I mean, just a thoughtfulness. Uh, you can't imagine just a cup of cold water giving, being Showing and expressing the goodness of God can change somebody's attitude. And just loving them, uh, just being kind, showing up. When I get there, God gets there. <laughs> you know, 
I mean, there's so many wonderful things that we can do as believers. I was talking to Elisha this morning here before the service, and Clarissa, we were talking about the fact that, you know, as Christians, we're never out of work. Luke 18.1 says, we ought always to pray, not turn. I love this in the Amplified verse. It says, we, we ought always to pray. Say, I'm always at work in prayer. I'm always at work in prayer. But it says, it says they're not turn coward, faint, or quit, lose heart. Those four phrases in there. It says you all always ought pray, not lose heart, turn coward, quit. All those things in there that you don't, those four things in there that it tells you in the Amplified Bible, that you have a job. Say, I have job security because I pray. I have job security. <laughs> Other people, I may have lost my job in the natural, but man, I had never lost my job in the Holy Ghost. Because I can go full-time, full-bore prayer. And I'll have time to do damage to hell and pray in people into the kingdom of God. I am never out of work because I can always pray and not lose heart, not turn coward, not quit, not faint in my mind and be discouraged. Does that help you today? Yes. Because all we're here to do is just to help, you know. Yes. All we're here to do is just to wash your feet with the Word of God, love on you, and minister to you, and give you words that will literally change your life because that will pick you up and, and send you out thinking right. It's one thing to know something. It's another thing to think about it right. Amen. Amen. Well, God bless you. And I leave my peace. Like Paul said, I'm not going to dust the dust off my shoes. I'm going to leave my peace and enjoy all these beautiful flowers and children that are walking around here. We have the best of lives. Isn't that wonderful? We have the best of lives on this planet. God bless you, darling. Thank you. Praise the Lord. <clears throat> amen, 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 amen. Let me just say one thing about uh, missions for a moment that I want to get you to think about. And I think that uh, because of this COVID thing, hopefully this is going to really impact the church and cause the church to think differently than she's been thinking for a long time. You know, throughout history, I mean for centuries and centuries and centuries, if you were to go to any church, I don't care what church, Catholic, Baptist, Methodist, Pentecostal, I don't care what, what denomination, if you went to any church over the last few centuries and said, what's the Great Commission? They would tell you, winning souls. Go ye into all the world, preach the gospel. He that believeth is baptized shall be saved, he that believeth not shall be damned, and these signs are fallen in the belief. It's rescuing people from hell. Everybody would have told you that. Catholics would have told you that. Baptists would have told you that. Pentecostals would have told you that. Every Christian everywhere would say, well, of course, everybody knows what the Great Commission is. It's winning souls, not letting people go to hell, telling people about Jesus, rescuing perishing souls, rescue the dying, right? But somehow, hell has sold a bill of goods to the church in the last 25, 30 years. Until all of a sudden, if you go in any church anywhere in the world, Catholic, Methodist, Baptist, Pentecostal, doesn't matter, and say, what's the Great Commission? They'll say this to you. They'll say, it's making disciples. What? <laughs> Where did that come from? Hell. 
What do you mean making disciples? No, it's rescuing people from hell. But all of a sudden we've changed it, Elisha, to, no, I need to just get me a little group of Christians and teach them to be like me and make disciples out of them. No, no, like I said already today, if you don't hear me preach today, you're going to heaven. I'm teaching the taught today. Nothing wrong with teaching the taught. I do it all the time. There's nothing wrong with teaching the taught. But let's don't call it the Great Commission. Let's don't call it missions. Let's don't call it evangelism. Let's just call it what it is. We're teaching Christians. We're training Christians. We're, we're, we're making disciples. But making disciples is not the Great Commission. That's a bill of goods that hell created and invented and sold to the church. So now every little Christian parrot that you ask them, what's the Great Commission? They say, making disciples. No, 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 no. No, no, no. Because when you focus on teaching the taught, when you focus on making disciples, making another Christian to be like you, God forbid, (laughs) at the expense of the world going to hell for eternity, for eternity, Clarissa, they're going to hell. If we don't reach them with Jesus, they will go to hell. Jesus, Jesus himself said, he that believeth not shall be damned. Damned to where? Hell. For how long? Eternity. There is no turning back. There is no redemption after that. Our job as Christians is to get the gospel to the world. Jesus said that said it to us in Matthew 16. I just quoted it. He said it didn't. Dr. Luke, who wasn't there originally, but he interviewed the other disciples, and he wrote he wrote the book of Luke based on his interviews. He said it like this in Luke 24, 47. He said that repentance and remission of sins be preached in his name in all the world beginning at Jerusalem. That's the great commission in the book of Luke. And he uses those two words, repentance and remission of sins. He's talking about winning sinners. He's not talking about making disciples. He's not talking about teaching Christians, teaching the talk. He's talking about we must reach those that are sinners so they can have repentance and remissions of sins. Is that wonderful? And then in the Gospel of John, John said it like this, John 20, 21, and 23. Jesus said, as my Father sends me, so send I you. Excuse me. Then he said in verse 23, now whoever sins you retain, they'll be retained. And whoever sins you remit, they'll be remitted. He's talking about sinners. He's talking about remitting sins. He's talking about people getting saved, getting born again, and getting rid of their sins. And then, of course, the book of Acts is the fifth place he gives us the Great Commission. And he says, when you get the Holy Ghost, you'll receive power to be witnesses for me in all the world, both in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the uttermost parts of the earth. Get the gospel to the world. So the church, hopefully this COVID thing will sober us up and get us back to say, hey, because of COVID, people are going to hell. And missionaries can't go preach in Pakistan and can't go preach in India and can't go preach in Africa and can't go preach in places to sinners and win them to Jesus. Can't go to Buddhist lands and Hindu lands and Shintoist lands and atheist lands and animist lands and get them saved because we can't go. They won't let us go preach. And because of that, they're going to go to hell. And hopefully that'll get the church off this 
making disciples business. Nothing wrong with making disciples. Nothing wrong with teaching the talk, doing that this morning. I'm just saying it's not the Great Commission. It's not what Jesus died for. It's a wonderful thing. I'm for it. Amen. But let's don't confuse it with the Great Commission. Let's go back and realize what the Great Commission really is. It's rescuing perishing souls. It's going to all the world, preach the gospel to every creature. Amen. Well, stand up with me. Let's pray. <coughs> Father, thank you for your word this morning. Thank you for us gathering together this morning on this beautiful Saturday morning. Thank you for your blessings and your increase and your prosperity and your health and your holiness and your salvation and your word and all that goes with that. That we can take your word and live in your word and be the man, the woman of God that you've called us to be. To be about the master's business. And Father, I pray as I've already asked you about today that I'll not speak of myself nor in the flesh, but the Holy Spirit, the greater one that indwells me, rise up big within me now and think through my thoughts, speak through my lips, minister words this morning. They get on the inside of us and create faith, for faith comes by hearing the word, and as we hear the word this morning, faith will grow right here right here on the inside of us faith will grow this morning and we'll be and as faith grows you're able to touch us at the point of our faith and do miracles thank you father speak to us by your spirit i curse every bit of spiritual deafness today that every ears open every every eyes open that we can see and hear what the holy ghost is saying to the church and i thank you for it may we leave this place today saying surely the lord not terry Mize, the lord has ministered to us may we leave this place today with our head up and our shoulders back realizing that we make a difference realizing that we're about the master's business realizing we're bigger than we thought we were we're better than we thought we were we can do more than we thought we could do because we're christians christ-like ones imitators of king jesus and i thank you in advance for that that you'll do touching our hearts touching our bodies doing miracles in jesus name and everybody said Amen. Well, you may be seated. Sometimes I about preach myself happy. Praise the Lord. <clears throat> One of the greatest, greatest scriptures in the Bible, and one of my favorite scriptures in the Bible, we find in Genesis chapter 1. And uh, what's happened here is that God has created the world. His idea. Nobody thought this up but him. He thought this up. He created all the beautiful flowers, all the trees. He told the oceans, okay, you come to this point and you stop right there. He weighed everything in the palm of his hands. He, he figured out the balance around the world. He made the beautiful animals, the wonderful creation. He did it all. I mean, it was marvelous. I, I, can, I can't even imagine. Some of the places I go today are so gorgeous and so pretty. And I think well, what it must have looked like before the fall. What it must have looked like when God first built it. I mean, the blues had to be blue, 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 and the reds, red, the green, green. I mean, it must have been spectacular, spectacular. And yet God built all this for us. And then when he finished all that, then in verse 26, he says, Now, now let us make man men and women. Let us make people. Let us make men in our likeness, in our image. Do you ever wonder what God looks like? Just look in the mirror. It looks like you. Amen? 
He said, let us make men in our likeness, in our image. You know, I told you I've been to the nations of the world and met the false gods, and I told you Hindus have 330 million gods, and the best god they have, the best gods a Hindu have, I mean, number one out of 330 million, is a guy named Ram. And uh, he's got an elephant's head. And he's got all these arms and all these, all these hands. He's a, he's a handy god. And, uh, and, and, and he's the best they've got. And, uh, you know, I've been at the birth of all my children and all my grandchildren, and then I've fused quite a few others, and I've delivered a few in the mission fields. Uh, but uh, every time a baby's born, I hold that precious little tiny infant in my hands, and I look at it, and I just say, thank God. It doesn't look like Rom. <laughs> God said it looks like me. God said, let us make man in our likeness, in our image. And then he went on to say, and let them, them men and women, let them have dominion. And, you know, we use the word power and faith and authority, but God used a much stronger word. He used the word dominion. He said, let them dominate. All this earth I've just created, all these flowers, all these animals, all this beautiful stuff, let man dominate it. Let him and her have dominion over the fowl of the air, over the fish of the sea, over the beast of the field, and over all the earth and everything that creeps on the earth. Wow. What a powerful, marvelous scripture. He didn't create us yet, but that's what he wanted for us. That was his, you, with Genesis 1.26, you can look right into the heart of God and see what his plan was, his purpose was, his desire was, what he wanted us to be and what he wanted us to do. And that was for us to dominate this planet. This planet's here to serve us. We're not here to serve it. We are the dominators. It's not the dominator. We're the dominators. And, you know, some men uh, are crazy enough. Some, some fools actually think man could destroy the planet. And some fools actually think man could save it. Yeah. And they're both wrong. This is God's and it's not going anywhere until he says so. Amen. Isn't that right? That's right. That's right. And he's not running out of stuff. <laughs> he built it all in the first place. Amen. And so we need to understand that that, that, that very verse is in our DNA that we are the dominating factor on the planet. And God intended, <clears throat> God intended for us to totally, for the rest of time, dominate the planet. And he intended there to be one people, his people. That's right. He didn't intend there to be two right. people. That's he intended right. there to be one people, his people. Yeah. My, 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 that's right. Amen? Yes. And Adam and Eve messed that up. Adam and Eve goofed that whole deal up. Can you imagine being in the Garden of Eden and all the... I mean, the Bible says the gold of that land was good. There wasn't any place to spend it. It was just there to look pretty. Yes. I mean, it was wonderful. And all the animals and all the flowers and all the plants and all the stuff. And God said, now, you just play here. You just enjoy here. You just have your babies here. And I'm going to come down every day in the cool of the day 
And Eve, honey, I'm going to take you by the hand, and Adam, I'm going to take you, buddy, by the hand, and we're just going to tiptoe through the tulips together every day in the cool of the day, every day, every day, every day, every day. And they weren't satisfied with that. How could you not be satisfied? How could you be dissatisfied and want more? How could you be? How could you be Lucifer? I mean, the, the, the praise and worship leader in heaven, the number four guy in heaven, Lucifer. Yeah, no joke. I mean, when he opened his mouth, orchestras came out of it. I, I, it was wonderful, and he was unsatisfied. How could he be unsatisfied? And he said, I know, I'm going to rise up over the sides of the north and overthrow the great king. I tell you, God booted him out of heaven and Jesus was standing there watching the whole deal and he tells us in Luke chapter 19, he said, I was there. That's right. <laughs> I was there when God took him and Whoa. booted him out of heaven and I saw him fall like lightning. Amen? Yeah. But God's plan was for us to live in the Garden of Eden. Forever. No sickness, no sorrow, no disease, no pain, no poverty, no lack, no want, no problem, no issues. Didn't need healing because there wasn't any sickness. Didn't need miracles because there wasn't any accidents. And that was God's plan. Pretty simple plan. All Adam had to do is love his wife. All Eve had to do is love her husband. That's all they had to do. They didn't have anything else to do. And they messed that up. They messed it. Found a way to be dissatisfied. But God intended for them to dominate. And even after they got kicked out of heaven, God's plan never changed. His plan was still that we dominate. God never changed His mind. And you have to understand the church has thought erroneously for all these centuries and centuries and centuries that God kicked Adam and Eve out of the garden because He's mad at them. That's not true. The Bible tells us plainly why he kicked them out of heaven. It says that he kicked them out of heaven so that they would not eat of the tree of life and live forever in the sinful state they're now in. Adam ate of the wrong tree. He should have eaten of the tree of life instead of eating of the tree of knowledge, good and evil. But when he ate of the tree of knowledge and good and evil, then God said, oh no, I cannot now let him eat of the tree of life and live forever in the mess he's now in. And so he kicked them out of the Garden of Eden. Genesis 2 and 3 and 4 tells you this. He kicked them out of the Garden of Eden, and even he was so concerned about them getting back in there and eating of that tree, he put he put an angel with a flaming sword that turned every which way. And I mean, they'd have killed Adam graveyard dead if he'd have tried to get to that tree. Isn't that right? God said, he is not going to eat of the tree of life in this sinful state he's in. And so God removed him from the Garden of Eden. But just because he removed him from the Garden of Eden doesn't mean he changed his mind. His, no, his, his intent and his purpose was still... Man's in our likeness, our image, and he's going to dominate this place. And all through history, people knew that. People knew that. It's only the last 30 years or so they've, 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 they've gone nuts and don't know it. That's right. But all through history, people have known that God's people were to dominate the planet. Even when, even when there became, uh, when God instituted the, 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 the reign of kings, the kings even knew that they weren't the boss. The kings knew the prophet was the boss. God's people were in charge. The church was in charge. And some kings liked it. 
Some kings didn't like it. Some kings adhered to it. Some kings didn't adhere to it. The ones that didn't adhere to it paid the penalty. Because God didn't change his mind. No, that's good. That's right. It was the prophet Samuel. Thank you, Lord. That came to a man by the name of Saul one day. And he said, Saul, I'm taking this horn of oil that represents the Holy Spirit. And I'm going to pour it over your head. I mean, they didn't take a little bottle out and get a little deal and have it, you know, anoint them with oil. No, no. They took a horn of oil and poured it over their head, down their hair, down their beard, down their clothes, onto the floor, symbolizing that you are now anointed of the Holy Ghost. And he said, God has called me to anoint you and set you in the office of king. But it was the prophet that was in charge. It was Samuel the prophet that was in charge. It wasn't King Saul that was in charge. It was the prophet. And Saul knew that. Everybody knew that. And so one day Saul comes walking in and he said, I mean, excuse me, Samuel comes walking in one day and he said, Saul, uh, thus saith the Lord, go over here to this village and kill everybody. Kill every man, woman, boy, girl, dog, cat, horse, mosquito. I mean, you kill them all. Don't you bring back one thing. Don't you bring back a piece of money. Don't you bring back any jewelry. Don't you bring back an animal. Don't you bring back a person. You destroy it all. And Saul said, yes, sir. So Saul goes over there, and he just destroys the whole city, except for the fact that he had a better idea. I'm going to tell you something. You don't ever want to have a better idea than God. That's not smart. Amen. I've got a grandson that's now 22, that's now 21 years old, and when he was about yay big, one of his favorite things was he'd come to me and, or, or somebody else in the family and he'd say, "Hey, Papa, I got an idea." And I'd say, "No, you don't, buddy." <laughs> no, you know, the idea was what I told you to do. That was the idea. You know. Mama says, go clean the room. Hey, I got an idea. Let's go play in the backyard. No, 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 no. You don't have a better idea. And uh, <clears throat> so Saul had a better idea. And he brought back some of the pretty people and some of the jewelry, some of the gold, some of the best animals. And so here comes the prophet. Samuel walks in. He says, Saul, did you do what I told you to do? Yes, sir. I certainly did. Lied to the prophet. And he said, if that's so, how come it is that I hear the bleeding of the sheep? And Saul said, well, 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 uh, the, the people made me do it. The people, the people made me bring back some of the best stuff to sacrifice to God. He said, that's not what I told you to do. I told you to kill everything that existed. Don't you bring back one thing. And so Samuel took, went and took the sword and hacked Agag, King Agag, and hacked the people that he brought back and killed the animals. I mean, he, he destroyed it all. The prophet. The prophet's in charge. It's not the king that's in charge. It's not Saul that's in charge. You need to understand that, church. You are in charge. Yes. Yes. what we say. You are in charge. You are in spiritual authority spiritual dominion. Now we have rulers and we have leaders and we have politicians and, and you need to understand something about politicians. They're the hired help. They're not kings. They're not monarchs. But even if they were, they're still not in charge. They're just the hired help. We hire them. We fire them. We hire them. We tell them to go to do what we want them to do. And if they don't do it, we fire them and hire somebody else. 
And we need to understand that's how this thing works. And so those uh, uh, one day Saul decided, uh, you know, I need to go to war. That country over there is bugging me and I need to go take them out. And he said, so uh, I'm going to run down here to the temple. I'm going to get the prophet to bless me. And then I'm going to war. And so he goes down to the temple and walks in, says, where's the prophet? Where's Samuel? And they said, well, he's not here right now. Well, I've got to go to war. I need him to bless me. Well, he's not here right now, but he, he's on the way. He's coming. Yeah, but I need to go. I need, I need to go now. I need to, I need to get the war started. Yeah, but he's not here. You have to wait for the prophet. And so Saul paced up and down and paced up and down, looked at his watch, looked at his watch, and just frustrated. And finally he said, you know what? I'm not going to wait anymore. He said, I'm a man of God. Samuel took the horn of oil, the anointing, poured it over me. I'm anointed. I'm just as anointed as he is. I'm a man of God just like he is. I don't need to wait for him. I'll just have church service myself. And so he just cranked it up and had church. And when he did, Samuel walked in. And Samuel said, what did you do? Well, I couldn't wait for you anymore, and I need to go to war, and you weren't here, and so I just, I'm anointed. You poured oil on me, and I'm anointed. I'm a man of God just like you are. And so I just had church and, and blessed myself. And I'm going to war. And Samuel said, oh, no. Oh, no. You're just the king. You're not the man of God. You're just the king. And because of what you've done, you're a dead man. And the kingdom's taken away from you. And besides that, your boy Jonathan, he's a dead man. Cost him his life. Cost him the kingdom. Cost him his son. Who was in charge? The king? It was the prophet that was in charge. And we need to remember that. There was a horrible king, an evil king, a bad king. In fact, the Bible says the worst one there ever was. <clears throat> By the name of Ahab. Second Kings chapter 21. You know the story. One day Ahab went off down to the road and came to this lovely, gorgeous, wonderful, beautiful vineyard. And so he went and looked up the owner, who happened to be a guy by the name of Naboth. And he went to see Naboth, and he said, Naboth, uh, I like your vineyard. It's really a gorgeous place, and I want to buy it from you. And Naboth said, thank you, king. I appreciate that, but it's not for sale. Yeah, but I want to buy it. I'm the king. Yes, sir, but it's my vineyard, and it's not for sale. But I want it. Yes, sir, but I want it, too, and it's mine, and uh, it's not for sale. But I'll give you all this money. No, sir, it's not for sale. But I'll trade you these other properties for it. No, sir. I want this vineyard. This is my vineyard. And Ahab turned around, went back home, and he cried, and he pouted, and he sucked his thumb, and he got in the fetal position, and he was all messed up. And here comes his wicked, evil wife. The Bible says nobody was as bad as Ahab who sold himself for the work of the devil and who was stirred up by his wife Jezebel. Nobody's worse than him except her. <clears throat> and so Jezebel walks in and she says, oh honey what's wrong? Why are you crying? Why are you in the bed? Why in the middle of the day? Why are you sucking your thumb? Why are you in the fetal position? Tell mama what's wrong. Mama will fix it for you. And he says, oh, I wanted to get Nabal's vineyard down there but he, he won't sell it to me. He won't let me have it. And she says, oh baby it's okay. You just stay right here and suck your thumb. Mama's going to fix this for you. And so she goes and has Naboth killed. 
she comes back and she comes into the bedroom and says, honey, I got good news for you. Mama, mama got you that vineyard. Mama fixed this for you. Now you just, you just, you just get up and take a shower and go down there and take possession of that vineyard. It's yours. Happy birthday. And he's so happy and he gets up and he goes down there and take possession of the vineyard. But there's a prophet of God named Elijah. And God said, go down there to Naboth's vineyard and you'll find Ahab. He's gone to take possession. So Elijah gets up and he goes off down there to the vineyard. And he walks in the vineyard. And I think it's hilarious that King Ahab saw Elijah and he said, Elijah, my old enemy, have you found me? And he said, you better believe I found you. And I know exactly what you've done. And thus saith the Lord, because of what you've done, you're a dead man. And the same dogs that lick the blood of Naboth will lick your blood. And that wicked woman you're married to is a dead woman. And the dogs are going to eat her body, and there will be nothing left of her to bury that anybody will even recognize. Now who's in charge, the king? No, 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 no. It's the prophet. It's the prophet that's in charge. It's the man of God. The king was scared of the prophet. Elijah, my old enemy, have you found me? I found you. I found you, you rat. I know what you did. Because of that, you're a dead man, and so is that wicked woman you're married to. That's who we are. And so you know the story. Ahab went to war. Somebody took an arrow and shot him. He bled out in his chariot and died. They said to one of the young soldiers, take the king's chariot down to the water and wash the blood out. And so he took it down there to the water to wash the blood out, and here come those dogs. Same dogs who licked the blood of Naboth came and licked the blood of King Ahab. Who's in charge, the king? No, 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 no. Who's in authority, the king? No, 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 no. It's the prophets, the man of God, it's the church the church. <clears throat> Second Kings chapter 9, the prophet went over to another prophet's house. This prophet had several kids. And the prophet said to one of those young men, the sons of the prophet, he said, come here, son. He said, see this box of oil I've got here? And he said, yes, sir. And he said, I want you to go down the road here to this house and knock on the door. And he said, when they answer the door, tell them you need to see a soldier a captain by the name of Jehu. And when you get a hold of Jehu, tell him you've got a word from the Lord, you need to go to the back room. And when you get him in the back room, take this box of oil and pour it over his head and tell him he's now the king of Israel. That's the prophet that said that. The prophet is telling another prophet's son to go anoint this soldier and tell him he's the king now. Who's in charge? The prophet. So this kid goes off down the road to the house. He knocks on the door. Somebody comes to the door. A bunch of soldiers in there. And he said, I need to see Captain Jehu. So Jehu comes and I'm Jehu. What can I do for you? He said, sir, I've got a word from the Lord. We need to go to the back room. All right, let's go. They went to the back room. The young man said, uh, I'm, I'm pouring this box of oil over your head and anointing you to be king. He poured it over his head. And he said, thus saith the Lord, you're the king of Israel. Jehu said, well, if I'm the king, 
I'm going to go kill all Ahab's kids. Ahab had 70 kids. And so Jehu said, I'm just going to go kill them all. So he just walked out of the house, jumped in the chariot, and took off. And I mean, he took off. And he drove kind of like, a, kind of like Eli, because it says that, that Jehu was known for his furious driving. And so anybody that saw him driving knew it was Jehu. <laughs> And so these two kings, these two brothers, they have some boys. They uh, they saw him coming from afar off. They saw the dust clad coming. They said, "That's got to be Jehu, man. He's doing 300 miles an hour." And so uh, they sent two messengers out there. Said, "Go out there and stop him, and ask him if he comes in peace or not." And so these two messengers take off out there and say, "Jehu, stop, 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 stop." Jehu stops. The first guy says, "Jehu, do you come in peace?" He said, "No, I don't come in peace." What do you know about peace? Get out of my way. And he took off. And the next guy stopped him. Jehu, stop, stop. Jehu, do you come in peace? He said, no, I don't come in peace. What do you know about peace? Get out of my way. He took off again. So the two kings went out there in their chariots and stopped him. He said, Jehu, stop. So he stopped. They said, do you come in peace? He said, no, I don't come in peace. He said, because of your mother's witchcraft and her whoredoms, I'm going to kill you all. And I mean, those two guys turned in their chariots and took off. Jehu takes an arrow and pulls it back and shoots one and kills him dead and shoots the other one and wounds him and he died later. And then Jehu went on into town, into Jezreel. And the Bible tells us there in 2 Kings chapter 9, it says that Jezebel heard that he was coming to town. And when she heard he's coming to town, the Bible says that she painted her face and she plaited her hair and she ran over to the window in the upper room and she threw the windows open so she could watch him ride into town. Boy, and he's riding into town. He sees her up there, and he stops and looks up at her. And there's a soldier in the window next to her. And Jehu said, throw that woman out the window. And that soldier grabbed her and threw her out the window. And I mean, she fell all the way down and splatted in the street. And the Bible says the blood splattered up on Jehu's horse and up on the side of the building. And then Jehu just ran over her with his horse and chariot. And then he goes in the house and has something to eat. When he gets through eating, he says, uh, hey, guys, yes, sir, uh, you know that woman is the daughter of a king. Well, I guess you ought to bury her. And they said, yes, sir. And they went out to bury her body, and they came back in, and they said, uh, king, there's nothing left to bury. All that's left is the soles of her feet, the palms of her hands, and her skull. And that's exactly what the prophet had said. There wouldn't be anything left to recognize to bury. Who's in charge? The prophet. It's not the king. It's not the government. Well, it's the prophet. It's the people of God. It's the church. Second Kings chapter one. Another one. Ahab's boys. His name's Ahaziah. And Ahaziah was a bad guy. And uh, the Bible says that he fell down one day. He was up on the roof and fell down through the lattice work and injured himself. And so he was on his bed, and he called some messengers in, and he said to the messengers, he said, hey, guys, I need you to go down here to the prophets of Baal, to the gods of Ekron, and inquire of them if I'm going to live or die. And they said, yes, sir. And so they left to go on the, on the errand that the king sent them on. But there was a prophet, oh, Elijah. And Elijah knew about it. So he just walked off down the hill and just stood in the road. And when the messengers got to that place in the road, he said, stop, guys. He said, I've got a message for the king. And they said, what's the message? 
And he said, here's the message. Is there not a God in Israel that you have to go to the prophets of Baal and the gods of Ekron? Because of this, you shall surely die. And so the guys left. They went back to the king. The king looked at his watch and said, what are you guys doing back? You hadn't had time to go do what I told you to do. And they said, yeah, but we met a man in the way. A man stopped us in the way. And he said, uh, he had a message for you. And he said, well, what's the message? They said, the message is, is there not a God in Israel that you have to go to the gods of Ekron and the prophets of Baal? Because you've done this, you shall surely die. And the king said, what did this guy look like? And they saw he was a hairy guy and he's wearing a leather girdle. And he said, Elijah, Elijah, so help me God, I will kill him. And so he calls a captain in. He says, Captain, take 50 men and go arrest Elijah and bring him back to me. Yes, sir. So the captain takes his 50 men. They go out there and there's Elijah sitting on the hill. And the captain said, Elijah, come down in the name of the king. You're under arrest. You're going with me. And Elijah said, if I be a man of God, let fire come down from heaven and consume you and your 50. Burned them all up. Well, the king sends another captain in 50. Elijah, come down in the name of the king. You're under arrest and you're going with me. If I be a man of God, let fire come down from heaven and consume you and your 50. That's 104 guys dead. 102 guys dead. Isn't that right? So he sends another captain in 50. And he goes, this, cap- this captain was either smarter or he saw the dead guys and he said Elijah, he fell on his knees Elijah, don't kill me, please don't kill me I'm just the messenger Please, I know you're a man of God and Elijah said okay I'll go with you and he goes with him to see the king walks into the king's chambers king I've got a message for you, is there not a God in Israel that you have to inquire of the prophets of Baal and the gods of Ekron. And because you've done this, you shall surely die. And he died. Who's in charge? The king? No. It's the prophet. It's the church, the people of God. We, we used to know that. We used to know that God was God. And that the church was in authority. The church was in dominion. The church was in charge. We used to have presidents smart enough to inquire of God. Amen. We used to have politicians smart enough to have prayer meetings. We used to have people that knew that the church was important, that the church was vital. We used to have presidents that would call on God. They would call uh, uh, days of prayer and fasting. Abraham Lincoln called it a day of prayer, fasting, and humiliation. Amen. You know, when Mr. Trump called for a day of prayer when COVID first started, most of us Christians were real happy about that. But it really bothered me whenever I heard him say what he said, and I heard Mr. Pence say what he said, because I believe they're both good men, I believe they both love God, but obviously either, either their advisors didn't tell them what the scripture really said, or either they decided to leave it out because it wasn't politically correct. But they tried to quote Second Corinthians seven fourteen. If my people, Second Chronicles. Second Chronicles. What did I say? I'm sorry. Second Chronicles. I need all the help I can get sometimes. Second Chronicles seven fourteen. He said, If my people that are called by my name 
He's not talking about the world. He's not talking about the sinner. He's talking about the church. If my people that are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, and here's the part they left out, and will turn, will turn from their wicked way. Both the president and the vice president left that part out. They just said, well, humble themselves and pray. I'll hear from heaven and heal their land. That's not what God said. He said, if they'll turn from their wicked way, then I'll hear from heaven and forgive their sin and heal their land. And so when we had the National Day of Prayer back in, what was it, March? May. Had it on the weekend. I thought Monday morning COVID would be gone. And I was so disappointed, and so I went back and started checking. What, what happened here? What happened here? What, what's the deal? We, that should have that should have done it. See, God said we need the church needs to turn from our wicked way. America has some repenting to do. Amen. We murder millions and millions and millions and millions and millions and millions of innocent babies year after year after year after year after year. That's innocent blood that cries to God. God said it cries to him from the ground. He said the blood speaks. Other sins that we've done. Racism's a sin. Sexual perversion's a sin. There's some sins America has gotten into that she's not repented of, and all of a sudden she's had a better idea. A better idea. A better idea. But I tell you, the church is still in charge. But the church better wake up. We're still in authority. We're still in charge. So here's the deal about being in charge. is you're, you're, you're in charge whether you know it or not. But if you don't know it, you don't take advantage of it. If you don't know it, you don't operate in it. You're in church whether you're asleep or not. I mean, excuse me, you're in charge whether you're asleep or not. And if you'll stop and see the, uh, the world as, a, as being in a big ship, and the church has the wheel, the sky's blue, winds are fair, everything's great. But the church historically, historically, historically has gone to sleep. And so the church, it's the sun feels good, it's warm, and the wind feels good, and the ship's rocking, and everything's great, and all of a sudden the church goes to sleep. Jesus asked the boys to pray with him one time, didn't he? He was about to crucify Jesus. He said, guys, just pray with me. Please pray with me. Yes, sir. He came back and checked on them. They were asleep. He woke them up and said, guys, come on. I'm hurting here. Please help me. Pray with me just an hour. Just an hour. They said, yes, sir. Yes, sir. And he came back to check on them and they're asleep. And see, historically, the church has gone to sleep. It happened in World War I. Happened in World War II. Where was the church in Germany in World War II? Yeah. The Lutheran church was alive and well in Nazi Germany. Where was she? She's asleep. She's asleep. That's right. Happened in 9-11. It's happened. Boy, after 9-11, what did we say? We said, we'll never forget. We'll never forget. We've forgotten two years. Yeah. That's right. Church has gone to sleep. 
And every now and then some horrible crisis happens, World War One, World War Two, 9-11, whatever, and all of a sudden somebody, the, the, wind, the winds get crossways, the waves get crossways, the ship begins to wander, all of a sudden we're in trouble, and somebody says, wake up, wake up, the church wakes up and says, what? And then grabs the wheel and gets it, gets it back. Wow, praise the Lord. But then after a while, she lulls off to sleep again. See, the church is going to have to get it together. That's right. And we're going to have to wake up and realize we are in authority. Even if we're asleep, God still says you're in authority. Even if we don't know it, God says you're still in authority. And if we're not doing our job, we're going to be held accountable for not doing our job. Because the world doesn't know any better. They don't know any better. They're just they're just sheep going to the slaughter. We know better. We know who we are. We know who God is. We know what the Word well, says. Right. We know right. what our that's position right. is. We know we're in spiritual authority. We know we're in dominion. And if we don't do that, we're held accountable yes. for it. You can't be asleep on guard duty. That's right. You know, they tell the story on Alexander the Great that one night they were bivouacked uh, in some nation they were conquering. And uh, Alexander got up in the middle of the night and just made the rounds to just check on the guards. And they came across one young guard that was asleep. And he was asleep on duty. And they said that Alexander jumped on this kid and nearly beat him to death. I mean, beat him and beat him. And the soldiers came and rushed and pulled him off of him. And they said, you're going to kill this kid. And so and Alexander was so angry. And they stood the young man up. And he's standing there bleeding. And, and, and Alexander said to him, said, soldier, what's your name? And the kid said, Alexander, sir. And that made him even more angry. And he said, you either change your name or change your ways. You're not going to be named Alexander and sleep on guard duty. You see, the church needs to realize no who joke. we're named after. Yes. No yes. joke. No joke. Yes. We, we, we need to change our name or change our ways. Yes. If we're going to be named, yes. be named by the Father in heaven. Yes. 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 From, who, from whom all fatherhood, the Bible says, is derived yes. and takes its name. It takes its name. Wow. If we're going to be called his children, we better wake up and get the job done. You know, I could tell you stories all through the Old Testament, all through the Old Testament. I mean, story after story after story where the church was in charge, the church was in authority, the church was in dominion. But you get on into the New Testament, and we everybody in the New Testament knew who was in charge. Jesus was in authority. He was in charge. You know, the church gets this erroneous idea about Jesus. We think because he was crucified, was captured, was beaten, was tortured, was crucified, we think somehow he was weak. And that's never been true ever, ever. He was always, always in charge, always, always in authority. And they tried to kill him numbers of times and he wouldn't kill. And finally it came time for him to go. It came time for him and his father to to culminate their plan. And so he lets them take him before Pilate and before Herod, who said to him, boy, don't you know I can kill you? Do you know how powerful I am? And Jesus said, you little pygmy of a man. Don't you know you have no power except that that God gives you? And he said, don't you know I could call 12 legions? of angels and there wouldn't be anything left of Jerusalem but a bloody spot where it once was but so help me God I won't I'm here on purpose let me tell you something hot shot you don't take my life I give it you don't take my life I give it 
Isn't that right? Now he said he could call 12 legions of angels. Now when I was a kid, we used to sing that song in church all the time. Uh, he could have called, he, he could have called 10,000 angels. Well, you know, a legion is 6,000. He said 12 legions, six times 12, 72. Have you ever seen 72,000 mad warrior <laughs> angels? I mean, it would have been a disaster. Jerusalem would have ceased to exist. I mean, 72,000 mad warrior angels just waiting for the command from Jesus. But the Bible says he went as a lamb dumb to the slaughter. He didn't dare open his mouth. Those angels are standing in heaven just saying, say the word, just say the word, just say the word, Jesus. Do you know God was telling him, stand down, guys, stand down, stand down. But it's Jesus, Father, it's Jesus. Stand down. We were doing this on purpose. But he didn't, they didn't take his life. He gave it. And then they couldn't hold him. He rose again the third day. Amen. Are, are y'all getting anything out of this? Yes. Let me, let me wrap this up and say this. Acts chapter, Acts chapter 5, Peter was taking an offering one day. And uh, I don't know how you feel about long offerings, but Peter was taking a really long offering. <laughs> and uh, after a while, uh, during this offering, uh, one of the guys from church walked in, Brother Ananias, and uh, he came down the aisle and he said, Brother Peter, my wife and I, Sister Sapphira and I, we, we've sold our property and uh, we're just going to give it to the Lord. And Peter looked at him and he said, you didn't have to sell your property. You didn't have to give God anything. But Satan has filled your heart to lie to the Holy Ghost. You're a dead man. And the guy dropped down dead. Now who's in charge? That old apostle was in charge. Well. Now this was under grace, by the way. This is New Testament. This is the Holy Ghost has already come. The day of Pentecost has already happened. This is full-blown grace, and he died dead. Amen. Yes. Don't let people mess you up with the grace message. There's a there's a perversion of the grace message going on today that's not right. And grace is wonderful. And grace is marvelous. Grace is great. But there's a perversion of the grace message that will get you messed up if you don't watch out. Well, the offering was still going on three hours later. Mm -hmm. I bet they got serious after that. And uh, here comes Sister Sapphira down the aisle. She sashays herself down to the front and says, Brother Peter, my husband, Brother Ananias, and I, we've sold our property for so much, and we're just giving it to the church. And he said, Lady, the same feet that carried your lying carcass husband out of here is going to carry you out. You're a dead woman. And she fell down dead under grace. Amen. Acts chapter 12, and I'll, we'll, we'll bring this to a close here. But Acts chapter 12, the Bible tells us that uh, the first verse, that King Herod killed the Apostle James. King James says he killed him with a sword, but the, which is true. Uh, Bible history tells us he cut his head off with a sword. And uh, so he cut James' head off. And the Bible says there in Acts chapter 12, it says that King Herod saw that it pleased the Jews. So he decided, I'll just kill Peter then. 
And so he sends people out, guards out, to, to arrest Peter. And they did. Brought Peter back and put him in jail. And King Herod said, now after Easter, we're going to bring him out and we're going to kill him. But the church, everybody say, but the church. But the church. But the church who were asleep when he killed James. But that woke them up. They slept through that. But all of a sudden they said, what? What? He killed James. What? He cut James' head. What? Yeah, now he's arresting Peter and going to kill him. They said, oh, no, no. He's not going to kill Peter. No. And it says, but the church prayed without ceasing. See, the church doesn't know what that means anymore, praying without ceasing. It says the church prayed without ceasing for Peter. So Peter's in jail. He's in maximum security. The Bible says he's in the second ward of the prison. And he's got 14 soldiers guarding him. Two of them outside his cell, two of them inside the cell with him. And he's chained with two chains. I mean, this is maximum. You, you don't get out of this. And Peter's asleep. And the church is praying. So an angel walks in the cell. And he kicks Peter in the side and says, Get up, Peter! And Peter woke up. And the chains fell off of him supernaturally. And the angel said, Get up, Peter! So he got up. He said, Put your clothes on. So he put his clothes on. He said, put your shoes on. So he put his shoes on. He said, come with me. Now see, angels, let me just take a tiny little sidetrack right here. Angels do the supernatural. Angels don't do what you can do. They do what you can't do. Notice that the angel did not dress Peter, did not put his shoes on him, did not put his clothes on him. He told Peter, you put your shoes on, you put your clothes on, you come with me. But... He took the chains off supernaturally. See, we can't just, you know, we hear pastor get up and preach about angels and how they're ministering spirits sent to minister for us who are heirs of salvation, that's us. And, and then we go home and get in bed and say, angels, bring me some coffee. Angels, bring me my newspaper. Bring, mow the grass for me. No, they don't do that. No, they do what you can't do. They do supernatural things. Amen. Amen. And so... Uh, the Bible says the door opened itself. Supernaturally. And it says when they get, got to the great iron gate of the city, it came it swung open of its own accord. Supernaturally. They got a couple of blocks down the street and the angel said, okay, buddy, I'm out of here. I'll see you. And the angel's gone. And so Peter said, well, I guess I'll go over where the church is meeting and praying and tell them what the good news. And so he goes over there, and they're inside praying, Oh, God, get Peter out of jail. Oh, God, oh, God, oh, God, get Peter out of jail. And so Peter knocks on the door. But they're praying. They don't come to the door. A little girl named Rhoda comes to the door. She says, Who is it? He says, It's Peter. She gets all excited and runs back in there and tells them, It's Peter, it's Peter, he's at the door. And they said, No, he's not at the door. He's in jail. We're praying to God to get him out of jail. Oh, God, get Peter out of jail. So finally she goes back and... and uh, Comes back again and says, it's Peter at the door. They said, no, it must be his angel. But it's not him. So finally she goes and lets him in. And he comes in where they're praying and says, hey guys. And he tells them this testimony, the story. And they rejoiced. Because they were in charge. Not Herod. Herod was not in charge. The king was not in charge. The church was in charge. Now the next morning, the king was so mad that Peter had gotten away that he killed all those soldiers. 
And then he went on vacation off the end of the seashore. And he loved to go on vacation, loved to go golfing, and he loved to make marvelous speeches from a teleprompter. And so when he made speeches, they were just mesmerizing. He was good at it. And so he stood up and made a speech. And uh, the people stood there and listened to that speech, and they just, I mean, their mouths dropped open. They were mesmerized. And they said these words. They said, these are not the words of a man, but of a God. And then it says this, and because Herod gave not God the glory, God killed him, smote him, and the worms ate him. So now if you were there that morning downtown, and all of a sudden you look up and there's this whole herd of worms coming down the road. And you say, hey, 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 guys, what's going on? Where are you going? They'd say, we're on a mission from God. We're, we're going to eat the king. Who's in charge? The king? Absolutely not. The church was in charge. The worms were in charge. The king's the last guy to be in charge. We need to realize that church. We are the church triumphant. We are the church large and in charge. We are about the master's business. We have more power in our words, in our prayers, than all the combined powers of hell. We have the name of Jesus. I mean the name that heaven's never failed to honor. Hell's never failed to tremble at. And we stand up as a church. It's in the name of Jesus. Amen? Amen. We have authority over demons. We have authority over devils. We have authority over sickness and disease and COVID-19, 18, 14, 32, 96. It doesn't matter what it is. Every, every disease that Satan ever invents. You know, you know, Deuteronomy 28 lists all these curses and all these sicknesses and all these diseases and stuff. It's not the only place curses are listed, but it's a good place to start, Deuteronomy 28. And it gets off down there around verse 62 and 63 and 65 and around in there. And it says, every disease listed here is under the curse of the law. And then it says, and every disease that's not listed here is under the curse of the law. In other words, any disease Satan ever invents in the future. You know, every year there's a swine flu and a Hong Kong flu and a chicken flu and a this flu and a that flu and some other flu and a Mercer's and a SARS and, a, and now there's the COVID. And a, you know, none of that catches God by surprise. Every disease is listed and every disease the devil thinks of in the future is under the curse of the law. In Galatians 3, 13 and 14, it says, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made cur a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed everyone that hangeth on a tree, that the blessings of Abraham might come on the Gentiles, that's us, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. In verse, nine, verse 29 of Galatians 3, says, If you belong to Christ, how many belong to Christ? If you belong to Christ, it says, You're Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Amen. Well, stand up with me. Did you get something out of all that? Yes. You're in authority. You're in charge. You're in spiritual authority and dominion. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Father, thank you for your word this morning.
Thank you for speaking to us by your spirit. Thank you for causing us to know that the church is in charge. The church is in authority. The church is in dominion. The church has spiritual authority on this planet. You said you wanted us. You intended for us. You created us to dominate. To be in dominion. To have dominion over the fish of the sea and the fowl of the air and the cattle of the field and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth and over all the earth itself. We have authority and dominion yes. in the name of yes. Jesus. And we yes. thank you for it yes. and give you glory and honor and praise and majesty and dominion in Jesus' name. Glory. And everybody said, amen, amen, amen. amen. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Well, Pastor... Come rescue these folks. <laughs> Thank you, sir. Will you give Brother Terry a hand clap again? Thank you, sir. They said they weren't coming out to California for any offerings, but we want to bless them on their trip. Amen? Let's do it. Um, if you like, you can just make it out to Elisha Mark Ministries or Word at the Ranch, and we'll make sure to get everything over into their ministry. It'd be nice and easy as one big check to bless them, don't you think? And if uh, you want to partner with them online, again, it's uh, over 50 years in full-time ministry. It's good ground, good soil. Amen. You can reach them at terrymize.com. And don't forget their podcast, Terry Mize Podcast. It's awesome. So, Father, we just pray over this time. We pray over this offering. We bless it to you, Lord. We sow into fertile soil, into fertile ground, and claim a hundredfold return harvest on every seed that comes in today. In Jesus' precious name, we give you all the praises for more to move the gospel forward with, more to bless others with, more to live with. And we bless your holy name. We thank you, Lord, for sending Brother Terry and Sister Renee to us this morning. We bless their travels ahead, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for open doors of utterance for the Holy Ghost to speak through them through. Keep opening more doors. More doors open. In Jesus' precious name. We give you all the praises for doing that. And if you agree with that, just say amen. Amen. Well, thank you for being with us. We love you guys. Happy Saturday. Praise the Lord. Amen. Amen.